1: welcome to the arsenal women ask october mailbag edition that's right we are two wsl games into the season because we're going to pretend that the competitive games that happened in september did not happen at all and scratch them from history and our memories <laughs> and nevertheless arsenal still winless in their first two games but i think a clear distinction certainly between the performances and the results losing at home to liverpool very unpleasant surprise on the first game of the season Much improved performance, albeit the bar was pretty low for that, away at Manchester United in the 2-2 draw. And we're doing a mailbag edition, um, a couple more games before the international break, at home to Aston Villa on Sunday, followed by away at Bristol City on the 22nd of October, before we go into another international break. Um, So we've taken a lot of your questions on Twitter, while that site is still just about a going concern. Um, And I'm delighted to have joining me to take on the mailbag, uh, Aiden Gibson, who you might know at uh, Beltran's Old Mole on Twitter. Aiden, welcome to the show again. Not your first rodeo. Yeah, thanks for having me back on. No worries at all. I've always meant to ask you, what, what is Beltran's Old Mole a reference to? I, I, I probably could Google it.
2: Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, so uh, when I first joined Twitter, there is a, a baseball player um, who I was really fond of. Um, whose name uh, is Carlos Beltran, um, and he used to play for my favourite baseball team, and he had a very distinguished um, mole. Like, it was very noticeable.
1: Ah, okay. Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because all this time I've been thinking of, like, the animal. Like, I've been thinking... It's conjured up images of, like, a a mole, perhaps, like, wearing glasses, like something out of Wind in the Willows or something, like some kind of weird literary reference. But, okay, that... That makes sense. I, I had to change my Twitter handle because the person I named it after um, went and endorsed the far right president presidential candidate. So, uh, <laughs> hope, hopefully Beltram and his mole didn't do that.
2: Um, I uh, I don't think he has. I I mean, like I wouldn't be shocked because uh, baseball <laughs> players tend to have some kind of you know politics. But I haven't yeah, looked, yeah. so I'll live in that fantasy land.
1: Yeah, yeah. I kind of wish I hadn't done that either, but there we go. Anyway, that's not what we're here to talk about. I was going to do like a little bit of preamble about the first couple of games of the season, but um, the questions, as ever, really, really follow themes that I think we were going to explore anyway. Um, and that's what I really like about these mailbags. Like They really, really tell you what the kind of fans are thinking, what they're worried about, what they're preoccupied with. So we're going to dive straight in because they follow some themes that probably won't surprise um, most people and I figure let's start with the goalkeeper uh, and the goalkeeping situation and I listened to Counterpress this week and had a really interesting conversation about how Chelsea, Arsenal and Manchester City all seem to have fallen into this kind of goalkeeper rotation policy. United haven't with Mary Earps and considering the way she's played over the last year, year and a half, I'd say that stability has probably done her some favours. But we had lots of questions. Going to go with three of them. Uh, Laura Veen, comps specialist at Veen Comps. Even with that howler, I felt way more confident with D'Angelo in goal than I do with Manu. She collects crosses better and is a better pass of the ball while shot stopping. Probably isn't great for either. How do you guys feel about this? Ren Mav at Renegade underscore Mav has the rotation of goalkeepers shown my Arsenal reportedly went for Mary Earps. And finally, Catherine Donaldson at KDAP. KD Catherine, Leipzig is the main reason Leicester are top of the league. Sinsberger and D'Angelo have performed poorly and cost Arsenal points. So, Aidan, what's your impression of Arsenal's goalkeeper situation where both goalkeepers have kind of had a go this season and, to be honest, probably haven't either covered themselves in glory?
2: Yeah, I mean, I think you're seeing why Arsenal were reportedly interested in, in Mary Ups in over the summer and why they'll probably go back in for, for her in next summer. Um but I also so 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 I think that, you know, one hand neither goalkeeper has covered themselves in Gloria in, in that sense. Uh the, the first question about uh D'Angelo is because, like I think overall I think she actually did play she played quite well on Friday. I was rewatching the game, and you know she was very good at, at coming for set pieces, which we know is, is a strength for Manchester United. Um, however, like it, you know, the first error is pretty, you know, pretty unforgivable. Uh, you know, pretty pretty remarkable. The second, the the second goal, I think, is just like that's that's just that's an that's an error that can happen when you've got a new got a new defense and a new goalkeeper who you know haven't played together in a competitive fixture um so i think you know i think on one hand like i kind of agree with the premise of the first question that like d'angelo i think played quite well on friday if you take out the two errors which is hard to do it's you know it's sort of like well aside from that you know um but I do think it is. I do. I do think it is an area of concern, and it is. It is starting to. I think cost Arsenal points relative to you know the other top teams.
1: Yeah, I, I mean, I think we should say that. I think the kind of idea is that when Arsenal want to counter attack like they did on Friday, D'Angelo plays because she's got big long throws. She's better at long kicking. I think it's the chance where Russo hits the post that comes from D'Angelo collecting across and bowling the ball out, which is why they played her. I'm with you. I know it sounds really, really stupid to say, apart from, you know, apart from the two times I flew the plane into the side of the mountain, I was actually quite a good pilot kind of thing. But I I guess I kind of agree at the same time, I think there's probably just an element of fatigue around Zinsberger because she's been with us for four and a half years whereas D'Angelo hasn't played as often, is a little bit newer. We're perhaps not as au fait with her flaws yet um, as we are with Zinsberger. But where are you on? Because Arsenal are trying to strike this balance, and I think Chelsea are trying to strike it as well with their goalkeepers, where they have you know, different, different strokes, as it were, for different games. But then, like I said, I look at Mary Earps at Manchester United and her form – over the last year and a half since she's had that stability being number one for England, number one for Manchester United. I mean, would you carry on this forces-for-courses approach or do you think that Arsenal should really try and stick with one of these goalkeepers, particularly because, as you said, the defence is quite new?
2: I think ultimately it, it, it would be better to just pick one goalkeeper and stick with that goalkeeper. I think I've not... I don't think that D'Angelo's like short passing is so bad that like you can't play her in, in the games that you would that you would play Zinsberger. If that was the way if that was the the route that Ideal wanted to go, for example. And I guess the the sort of other consideration that I have for this question is like if Arsenal were to sign Mary Erbs, I very much doubt that they're taking her out for, you know, a, a game at home against Liverpool. Like I think Mary Erbs plays that game. I think she plays the game, you know in the alternative reality where Arsenal signed her, I think she started every single, I think she would have started every single game this season. So I do think that I do think it does speak to goal keep, the, the two goalkeepers in question also because like, you know, Jonas didn't really do this his first season. So she, so he has shown, uh, that he is minded to just play a number one. Um, so I do think like, I understand, I, I, I understand why D'Angelo plays in some games, why Zinsperger plays in some games, but I also do think that like combined with um, building a new defense, it would probably be smarter to just play one for now. Um, that's, that's where I fall. And because I think like, again, like I think it speaks to, you know, I was, I listened to the same counter pressed, uh, pod- I listened to counter pressed as well. And, you know, the point that was being made is that like the goalkeepers that Chelsea have both have flaws, right. They, you know, uh, Lucevic, not the best shot stopper, you know, AKB, not the best with her feet. So it's sort of mitigating those flaws. I think that's true for Arsenal too, um, that both goalkeepers have flaws and it's about mitigating them. I think that ultimately, like, if you have a goalkeeper that you're 100% confident in, you're going to play that goalkeeper every game.
1: Yeah, definitely. I, I think it is a case of having two seven out of ten goalkeepers rather than a nine out of ten goalkeeper and. Zinsberger's best form for Arsenal probably was Jonas's first season, where she played all the time. Um, and, and I'm with you. I think if the you know because ideally you just get a goalkeeper who can do all of those things, right? And that's what makes them a nine out of ten goalkeeper. And um, that's that's clearly something Arsenal don't have, and they're not going to get. Um, I think you're right. I think they will try and go back in for Mary Earps um, next summer, and and you know. We, that I'm not going to have a debate now about whether Mary Earps is the 9 out of 10 goalkeeper because she doesn't play for Arsenal and she might not. But there's other questions as well around the defence. And again, in the last mailbag we did, this came out a lot in pre-season as a concern. And that stands to reason Arsenal have lost their first choice centre-halves from last season. They've lost Laura Reuter. Of course, people are going to be um, you know, I think justifiably concerned about the defence. So three questions here. Ryan McGavick, who is at Ryan Mac Physio, um, who incidentally helped me with the tendonitis issue recently. Thanks for that, Ryan. <laughs> uh, given the crazy injuries last season and the need to almost entirely rebuild the defence, should we um, trust the process despite a, bit, a difficult start? Then Torquay Groundhopper at Torquay Hopper 12. What can be done about the defence? It's not clicked so far at all. Playing a back three weakens us elsewhere, and I don't understand the decision not to get a right back. Are we effectively stuck until Leah returns? And Monica at Monifacy seventy seven, they say defense—the thing, of winning the leagues, not the attack. With our defense, I really can't see it. Is it just a time of a matter of time and chemistry? So, mm-hmm. I think there's a couple of questions in there about how far do you think the defensive issues so far are a question of like time and chemistry or how much is it a question of quality? And there's there's a question in there, I think, as well, about Arsenal playing three at the back and your kind of thoughts on that.
2: Yeah, I mean I think the three at the back system I think was always going to be used away at Manchester United. It seems to it seems to work pretty well in big games when you look at like the end of last season, like it you know, it really clicked against Wolfsburg, I think. You know, I think you can quibble about using it at home against Liverpool, but I think that was all. It was always going to be the system against Manchester United, and it, it sort of sounds like that was going to be much more of a sort of counter-attacking, counter-pressing game, right? Like, and so I think it made sense to play three centre backs in that game. Um, it will be interesting to see, like, you know, whether whether that continues against against Villa, um, because I think that's sort of. That will give an indication, I think, of of whether it's going to be really the dominant system, or if you know we're going to try and move away and go back to sort of like forty three one. The question about uh, time and qualities is an, is an interesting one. I do think that I do th- I, like I do think a lot of it is about time. You just have to and and Jonas referenced that right when uh, after the Liverpool game he he talked about the need to build relationships and having had only had 10 um, training sessions with the full team, which I think is also why he used the back three at home to Liverpool because it was the same players as his last season. And so I think he was thinking he, he, you know, he could get, he could get something, he could, he could get something out of that, right. That, that there is enough muscle memory from last season to maybe, you know, get that over the line. Um, so I do think a lot of it is about, I do think a lot of it is just about about time and building relationships. I guess I have a little bit, a couple of concerns just about how how they all fit together, how the sort of um, you know uh, Illichet and and Kadina fit together, how they fit uh, with sort of this with the defensive line that Arsenal like to play. Because I'm not sure about the about the recovery pace of either one, but I also think it's hard to make a definitive statement when like the big center back purchase that also made this season has played 58 minutes, right? Like, like, like Kadena made a first start on Friday. I thought she played quite well. Um, you know, I thought she looked, you know, she looked confident on the ball and looked good on the ball and was making and, and so I think it's just really hard to kind of make a definitive judgment about that. But I do think there are like, so I do think it's, it's one of those things where it's like, check this space in a month which is hard because I think all of this is within the context of having, f- having gone out of the champions league. And so now there's a lot of pressure on the league when you also need, you know, time to build relationships to completely rebuild, you know, the center back pairing.
1: Yeah. Yeah. And and I think it, it might be a similar thing where in Lear and Hafer, there were a pair of like eight, nine out of 10 center backs. And, I suppose what a lot of people are getting at is have we kind of replaced them with three, seven out of 10 centre-backs. Um, and, and I'm with you. I, I think Kadena, Kadena is like the Havertz uh, signing for the women's team. Like it feels to me like a lot hinges on that. I think Ilistet was a good signing who plays the same role as Leah Williamson. Like there's no, you can't really buy like a 21, 22. Like it, it's kind of a, relatively short-term purchase and I I think that's like as well as Arsenal could have done um, with that circumstance. Kadina though, like Kadina is a lot younger she's coming into that left centre-back role where there's like much more of a vacancy and that's the one that has to work I'm with you, I'm not ready on 58 minutes to judge that yet but it really really feels to me like a a lot hinges on that and again um, not to use the pilot analogy, I thought Arsenal defended pretty well against United other than I mean the the first goal that's not a defending like a defense it is a defensive mistake but it's by the goalkeeper it's not by the centre-backs and even the second one like the centre-backs are where they should be like Ilishte is exactly where she should be but her and D'Angelo have never played together before and that's a communication not a positional error So I'm reasonably optimistic that those things can be worked out. But I think I'm with you on the Liverpool game. I think if Noel Maritz isn't injured in the days before that game, I I don't think there's a chance we play with a back three. I think that's a back four. And I think that was probably a tactical error, given that Liverpool clog up the centre to take a midfielder out to have a centre-half. And I do think if Jonas could have the time back, he might just play Lotto at right back and just eat it. Um, frankly just have like a slightly ill-fitting right back what what are you expecting to see against Villa um on Sunday do you think go back to a back four because the back three again absent the two Champions League games is what we've played for quite a long time now
2: yeah um I I I keep going back and forth like I I I think it will actually be a back three um Just given the given the threat of Rachel Daly, given against just the relative newness of of uh, and Kadena to the team, I think he'll want. I I think part of it will also want be. I think part of it is a desire to get Gen Beatty into the team as well, especially in this sort of period, right? It's especially because, you know, without Leon, and without Haffa, there's an absence of leadership at the back, right? And, and, these, and a lot of these players haven't played together, so I do think, I actually think it'll be a back three. I think it won't be a back three at Bristol City, but I think it'll be a back three against Villa. I'm not sure. I, 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 part, of me is, part of me thinks that... It's not the best system to use against Aston Villa. I think, you know, I don't know how much you can take away from the game in May because Arsenal just completely done at that point. But what interested, I was looking at some of the data and uh, from, from last season. And, you know, again, this was post Wolfsburg, so hard to really, you know, part of it was tiredness, but like the data from that game that at home to Leicester was very similar to that, to the data at home against Liverpool. And Arsenal really struggled in that game. I mean, Katie McCabe had a penalty saved and, you know, that was in the first half, but, you know, it took kind of a wonder strike from Frida Mournem to win that game. And I think that was a little bit more reflective of kind of that system struggling against a deep block. So I sort of go back and forth about whether it's the best call to use three at the back against Villa, but I think we will I think we'll see it because I do think it's 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 been yeah it's been used. It's been used against Liverpool. it's used against Manchester United. It was used to see out the game against Lynn Chopping. It was used for a lot of the game against Paris FC. Um you know I think most of the most of it extra time I think was using the back three aside from when Jen B E went up front. So I kind of think that I kind of think he's going to stick with it f- through this kind of block of games is that's basically what I'm thinking.
1: Yeah. Yeah. And, and as well, some of this will be in the context of the fact that Villa are trying to do things slightly differently. So they were playing a very open four, three, three last season. They've moved more towards like a double pivot. They've been playing Lucy Parker in midfield Jordan Nobbs didn't start their first game, um, came off after an hour in their second. And so I think they're trying to work out their midfield to be a little bit more secure. So I think it'll be really interesting to see what he does. I completely agree as well about Jen Beattie. I think he wants Jen Beattie in that team for leadership reasons. And with Jen, you kind of have to sit her in the middle of a back three. Um, but at the same time, I, I kind of think Freedom Warnham, for example, we don't get the best out of her in that like box midfield. I think it's much better for her when there's like the double pivot and, and her ahead of it. So I'd like to see a back four, but I, I I agree with you. I wouldn't be surprised at all to see a back three. And um, I guess like building on that, uh, Belinda at Mournimits Twitter uh, asks asks about this. Since we're on this subject, do you think Jonas needs to decide? um on what his back three slash four need to be and stick with it for consistency and could the shaky start to the season be because of the changes that have been made um not so much because of the dropping quality but on pitch familiarity the players have so what do you like i think we're going to see Arsenal move between a three and a four um this season what do you make of that
0: yeah
2: i think i think the bigger issue uh with the, with moving from a 3 and a 4 it's just how it affects those f- further ahead like you said I, f- I i completely agree i don't think we see the best of, of frida in that role i think that right 10 position isn't doesn't necessarily suit her um, and i think he kind of like and i think also because of what because of having wing backs I think you need a little bit more ball ball security in that right 10 and I don't think that compared to the other parts of a game that are really strong I don't think that's necessarily Frida's game but I think it does limit her um, so I think that's sort of like I think it's 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 if there's something about consistency, I'd say it's about consistency with sort of midfield selections and and sort of choosing that choosing the, the two behind the striker um, and I thought like you know I feel, I think when when you look at the game against Manchester United like it was much better in terms of in, in just in terms of the balance I think like that was the other thing about a Liverpool game like the balance of that of sort of the attacking five was was just off. And I thought that balance was much better, even when, like, and it it wasn't necessarily because, like, you know, oh, he dropped, like, he dropped Marnham and brought Pulova in and Little went out wide. Like, even when the subs came on, that balance was still there. So, I think that it's really just about, it's about, like, I think, yeah, just building the partnerships in a way between certain players. And... So I think that's and, and that, I think that's something that you can do whether it's a, whether it's a three at the back or a four. I mean, I agree with you. I think we're going to be switching between a three and a four a lot this season, and I think like Steph allows that switch to be to be done sort of within game. Um, so I think it's, it's more about building the relationships further up the pitch, and you know, part of that is like some of those relationships will be the same, whether you're playing three or four and with the two at the base of the box. And I think it's more about sort of just choosing the two behind the striker who fit, right, who fit, who complement each other and complement also both who the wing backs are.
1: Yeah, yeah. I, I kind of tend to think when we play that box midfield with the right 10, I'd rather see pullover over there um the morning for example whereas if you want someone really central like at the, the head of the arrow I, I think that's frieda all over personally um just before we go to a break because these questions are are, are quite similar as well um and we've got one from yana at yana uh, dw underscore is there or should there be a vision from the club on a style of play i get they're not going to tell Jonas how to manage specific games but is there anyone who cares if we're going to play five at the back and long balls Slash crosses for the rest of the season. And Andrew Gambrell at Andrew Gambrell asks, "What are your thoughts on squad rotation? Should we see a different lineup and maybe formation every game? And uh, and does Jonas consider the finishers as much as the starters? So, I, I guess really what we're looking at here is like a balance between this being Jonas's third season. You expect by this point to really see like embedded principles, embedded style of play, but at the same time." kind of formation switching there are five new players in but we see Chelsea do that a lot we see Chelsea switching formations and it seems to work for them like where do you like do you see a style of play um first and foremost I guess would be my first question
2: yeah I mean I think I think there's I think there's some principles that are obviously um that that are pretty obvious I think most of them though are almost out of possession um, I think Jonas focuses on that a lot. And when you look at his, well, I don't need to tell you about like what he says after the game, but when he talks about player performances, like a lot of the time, especially attacking players, he talks first about their contributions off the ball. Um, so I think when you see a style of, of some principles, I think those are the principles that are that are consistent game to game. Um, I th- And I think that kind of tracks when you look at, the two, the, the last two seasons, some of Arsenal's strongest performances under Jonas have actually been in big games, and some of their less strong performances have been in the games where you think that they should win, right? Birmingham comes to mind in the first season, Liverpool last week or two weeks ago, rather, right? Some, um, whereas you know Manchester United last week again, I thought pretty good deform- performance. You look at some of the games against Chelsea, he's that he's. Um, since he's come in really strong. So I think those principles of play are almost off the ball. So I do think that comes to some stylistic questions. I mean, I think it's, I think the problem with the club dictating the style is that you're going to, it's, I I don't know, it, it feels almost sort of like, to i don't know if the club can do that it feels like really it feels like like overly joined up thinking and i think you get into a position where like you know i think city do that and i wouldn't say that manchester city women have been the best coach team over the last three seasons um so i do think that there are some potential issues with that with that being said i do think that there are some you know I think there are some questions about like some of the principles in attack. Um, But I also think there are some things that are pretty consistent. Like we know what his number nine wants to do, right? If you look you know, we know what that is. Um, And, and maybe it's just a case of like, you know, some of these attacking principles were not completely keen with as a fan base more than like they're absent.
1: I I think that's completely true. I I think that's exactly it. I, I definitely see uh, principles in a style and, the wide overloading, like there's no inverting fullbacks, for example, in the Jonas team, like they go wide, you know, Arsenal do, Matt Beard described it this way, and and, and I I think it was a really good, like layman's term way of describing it, he kind of said that Arsenal do this thing where they go, they start wide, they come central, they go wide again because they want to go wide, high up the pitch and get to those kind of cut back and crossing positions and I see wide overloads, counter pressing, if you look Overall, at the size, the physical makeup of the players he buys, he tends to buy big physical players. Not always like Cooney Cross, uh, for example, Laura Reiter, but tends to buy bigger players. And players like Jordan Nobbs and Manit Wabuchi haven't been his cup kind of tea. Like he likes physical players, both defence, midfield, and like you said, the nine is is pretty much always doing the same thing. Like he's bought Steiner and Alessia Russo. So we know, and taken Viv- Vivian Miedema out of that position. So we know what he wants to do there. I'm with you. I think it just comes down to whether you like that or not. Um, I, I definitely don't see an absence of style. I think it's just a question of taste, whether you like it. And, and I, I know plenty of people that don't. Personally, I do. I'm, I'm a bit of a Luddite. I like direct football. <laughs> I do think there are times in the Liverpool and the Paris games where we went too direct too quickly and just ended up losing the ball. Um, but overall, I quite like the style, um, but I understand people that don't. I'm with you. I don't see an absence of style. I think it just comes down to personal taste. We're going to take yeah, a very um, Go for it.
2: Yeah. Uh, sorry. Yeah. yeah. And, and I was just thinking like the arch, like the, the sort of, Archetype of like an ideal goal, I would say, is almost um the Black goal against Bayern Munich last season, right? Where they were like, it was a passage of play with like two or three crosses. Like the ball got, you know, the ball, Katie McKay picked the ball up from a cross, from a deep cross, and then she put the cross in and Black Sineas head. And, and I think that's the kind of, that's the goal, right? That's the sort of archetype wide of our goal where there's the balls been worked out wide there's a lot of cross there's a there's quite a few crosses and there are, and there's crash and two players are crashing the box
1: yeah absolutely it really reminds me of the first maybe the first maybe the second ever pre- post match press conference we did with them after a champions league qualifier against psv and arsenal won 4-0 and he said and he was asked about the goals and how pleased he was with them And he said yeah but they were all quite arsenal goals um, and he, he kind of meant that. I don't think he meant that like in a derogatory way, but I think he kind of meant they were all the same type of goal. And he expanded on that afterwards. He said, "I want us to score from crosses, from counter attack." He was like, "I want us to still score those nice passing goals, but I want us scoring from corners, crosses, counter attacks." I think the thing about Jonas is really he likes everything. <laughs> that that's kind of his style is he wants them to be strong at everything. So he does want to keep a bit of that Joe Montemoro possession, control the game through possession, but he wants like he wants to have his cake and eat it, basically, is what I'd say. Whereas like Joe Montemorro, the archetypal Joe Montemoro goal is probably Kim Little from the short corner against Reading. Like that's that's your Joe goal right there. And I think he still wants to do that, but that he has introduced, I think, an element of directness and physicality and overloads and crossing and and all of that. And I, and I kind of think he wants it all, which is, you know, you could debate the bones out of that, but maybe that's also perhaps why people sometimes struggle to see like an overarching philosophy and, you know, does a manager need like a real philosophy sometimes? I, I don't know. But that stuff we can talk about in part two. We'll take a quick break and afterwards we'll talk, got some questions obviously about Jonas's contract um, for example, um, and we'll get stuck into those right after this.
0: A lot can happen in the next three years. like a chatbot, bot maybe your new
1: best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare tri-term medical plans are available for these changing times.
0: and Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at Airbnb.com slash host. It's a brand new year, and what better time to get going with that online store you've been thinking of? Those, I was there when Arsenal actually scored a gold t shirts would fly off the shelves right now. And to get yourself up and running, you need Shopify. Sign up for a $1 a month trial period at Shopify.com slash arsblog, all lowercase. Go to Shopify.com slash arsblog now to grow your business no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash arsblog.
1: Okay, welcome back to this October mailbag edition. I'm still joined by Aiden Gibson and Aiden. One of the things. That um, probably surprised a lot of people was between these two games and immediately on the heels of the defeat at home to Liverpool, 24 hours before the Manchester United game, and I do think that timing was very, very pointed. Arsenal announced that Jonas Eideval has signed a new three-year contract. And um, question from um, Roos at Roos ch91, curious as to what you think about Jonas's new contract. Um, recall you saying on the previous pod that one of Jonas Skinner and Taylor would probably not survive um, past the end of this season. Has the club taken a risk here? A uh, similar question from Catherine at Agit Pro. Have the club taken a risk giving Jonas a long-term contract? What if we don't win anything this year? There's such a big investment in the squad and off the pitch in infrastructure um, and not winning trophies surely isn't acceptable. So what's your your overall take on Jonas first of all, signing um, a new three year deal and I guess a little bit on the timing of it as well.
2: Yeah. And I mean, like I think if you'd asked me this question on Thursday, I would have uh, probably reacted a little bit. Um, And just in, in, and you know, just in terms of the time, I think there are sort of, I think there are three things that, that, that come to mind, uh, about these questions and the first thing is that the club have done this before they did this with arteta we lost three league games in a row in the spring of 2022 looked like we would completely looked like we had thrown away top four and i mean we did end up throwing away top four but we came back from that situation um so they have done this before they have and i think it's part of, it's the club sort of you know saying no we back you know we back the manager we're making that very clear i think Related to number one, there are a lot of players who have joined the club or have recently signed new contracts. Um, And I imagine that there was some conversation with them about the direction of travel and what was happening. So I do think that that was just sort of tying that up as well. Um, And, you know, I I still think, uh, you know, the point that you made on the previous part, it can still stand and it could still be Jonas, right? Like if Arsenal finish fifth, and don't win anything, he'll he'll be sacked. And, and like they can still do that as a club. So like signing, so so, you know the contract doesn't mean that they have that he has to see it out. So if things go really badly, they can still do that. Um, I think my overall my my sort of overall feeling on this is that um, there was a lot of reaction to the Liverpool game, which is understandable. There's a lot of reaction to to the Paris game, which is again completely underst- understandable. It's completely appropriate for fans to react to short term defeats. And I know I have, right? But uh the club shouldn't over shouldn't react to short term periods of form. They need to see sort of the larger picture. So I think for the club in general, right, the the direction is has been trending upwards under 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 Jonas. Um so I think for them it's 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 an easier decision than it is for us to get our heads wrapped around it after, you know, two back, you know, after two losses or, you know, a draw and a loss on penalties and and a loss at home. So I think those are sort of like the two, I think that that's, those are my overall feelings where it's like, you know, yeah, like obviously like the start of the season isn't great, but like clubs can't make decisions based on, you know, 180 minutes of football. Like it's just not, it's not responsible
1: yeah absolutely i I'm, I'm with you first of all on your first point. I think managers contracts are only ever advisory really because like you because they're so much easier to get rid of than players that you don't want and I, I'm totally with you I just it like if Arsenal lost the next six games, I don't think that'll happen, but if they lost like the next six games he will probably get sacked still like. None of the other managers that preceded him went at the end of their contracts. They all went before. Like, that's, that's just kind of how it happens. I, I do think there is, um, I mean, first of all, yeah, the contract was basically agreed during the summer. And the timing, I think, yeah, was was relatively pointed. And uh, in, in Roos's question, there's a the thing because Mark Skinner and Gareth Taylor both have contracts until the end of the season. And and yeah, it is difficult to imagine a world where all three of those managers are are the coaches next year. But I think Arsenal kind of wanted to avoid the situation that City seemed to be in, where Gareth Taylor was in the last year of his deal all last year, and they didn't they renewed it after the end of the season in the end. And I think Arsenal wanted to avoid that level of uncertainty and say no, no, we're gonna like we just put this squad together. Just put it together for Jonas, the coaching staff and all of that. And we want to avoid this situation where the manager's future is uncertain. And I can see that. And I, I'm with you. I, I don't like. I, he'll just get sacked if it doesn't work. It's, it's kind of as simple as that. And I do think there is a value for both the coach and the squad to have that little bit of security. If he had two years. On the end of his deal if it was like 2025 I wouldn't do that at the moment. I think in an ideal world you'd wait and see where this season's going before you do that. But I do think that from the club's perspective there is something to be said for saying like let's not do any half measures here. Let's give the security and we can always take it away. Like 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 you I, I don't think it's it's really that final at all. It just allows the manager to do his work. Like you said, lots of new contracts signed, lots of players brought in like I think it does make sense to introduce at least like um, not the illusion of stability, but some stability uh, before, before kind of moving on from that.
2: Yeah. It takes, and it takes away the question too, right? Like that was the question for Gareth Taylor the entire spring and the question for City. And he couldn't, he couldn't really answer it because he didn't know. And if you, if Arsenal are in the same position, that's a question that has to be asked. Like it's asked every week. It becomes a bigger question after a loss, right? So I think they've just, yeah, they've taken away that, that question. And it's, it's an awkward question. And it, it implies too that like, it also implies that the club is unsure. Like, I don't think City necessarily wanted to keep Taylor. I think if they'd wanted to keep Taylor, they would have given him a new contract far before they did. I think they just looked at the managerial market and thought, yeah, you know what? We'll give him what we'll give him another year contract.
1: Yeah. And, In their transfer, I don't necessarily think this is a bad thing for City, given all of the upheaval, but they also only signed one player this summer, and that's probably tied to the fact that they didn't know for sure who their manager was going to be until the end of May, and they still don't know who it's going to be next June, really, because I think giving someone a one-year deal, I, I think you either sack the guy or you give him two or three years. I think they've just like repeated, but... You know, I, I I can understand if Arsenal looked at Man City as a bit of a case study and decided not to do that. But I also think we've got to step back and say that the context of this was really that it was agreed during the summer and how, of course, like, um, you know, opinions change as facts change, right? But if this was announced in July or August, I, d- I don't think there'd have, been, there'd have been that much kind of... Um, you know, that much noise around it, really. Um, But that's, you know, that's another thing. P- people's mileage is going to vary on that. I'd just say, don't take it as red that he's definitely going to be here till 2026, because if it, if it really goes the wrong way, he won't be, um, I think. Um Here's a question I think is really interesting. It's something I'm planning to ask Jonas in the next couple of weeks about all progression. Again, I was looking at the data from the Man United game, and actually... As much as I think we played well and set up on the counter-attack, I think only about half of our possessions got us into the final third. And so this question from LPG at 1-2 uh, post. With Leah and Viv out, we don't progress the ball from deep and through the middle via dribbles, long passes, or quick one-twos as much. Our midfield, which can do this most, uh, which can do this mostly for defensive security, Do you see any internal solutions in the way we set up to plug that gap? So that question about ball progression, ball progression through the center without Leah and Viv, is that something that will take time to work out? Is that something we might just have to suck up? Um, Or do you see like a different way?
2: Yeah. I mean, I think it speaks to how irreplaceable Leah is in a way and, and too, right? Like the, ball progression from both of those players um so i mean i think again like we have to see a little bit more from from kadina because i think she has some really nice you know she has some really nice passes between through the lines um on friday night but i also think that again this is you know the this is kind of a it speaks to the style question you we were talking about earlier where like the you know Arsenal want to work the ball in from wide into the middle and back out wide. So I think you can see a lot of, you'll see, you know, a lot of ball progression from say the fullbacks, right. Playing into, to Kim or Leo, or whoever's in central midfield. Um, so I think some of it is just sucking it up. I think some of it is seeing uh, a little bit more of, of like Dina. I do think there are some, you know, I think there are some uh, changes that can be made in midfield. Like, you know, if you want to think about ball progression, I think that that's, that's pull over all over, right? Like that's, um, that's something that she's really, really good at, especially if she plays deeper. Um, so, you know, I think there are some, there are some internal solutions there. Um, but I think also part of it is just like Leah Williamson and Hafaeli are two really crucial players for building up and Arsenal don't have either of them this season. Yeah.
1: Yeah. And I, and- that's that's another thing that's interesting. You mentioned Pullover there. Arsenal dropped her quite deep on Friday night, and that was clearly because, again, they wanted to counter and they wanted that ball security. I think Cooney Cross as well, we're talking about dribbling from the base of the team, that's something she's really, really good at. And actually, you know, for Australia, they play like a four four two basically. So she only has that one defensive uh, midfield partner, rather, in Katrina Gorey, and she does, like, most of the ball progression for Australia, but it's a question of how you get those players into the team because I don't think Kim Little and Leo Valti are going anywhere. You know, does that mean Freedom Martin doesn't play every minute of every game? I, I'd suggest that that might be the case, but yeah, it's it's a question of how Arsenal bring some of those players into an eleven. That's why I think we're going to see quite a horses for courses approach. I think we're going to have a lot of what we had on Friday, which is the team sheet dropping and going. Ah, huh, wonder how that's going to look in practice. And then after five minutes, you see it, and you're like, "Oh, okay, I can see Kim's wide. I think I know why that's happening." And I, I think there is going to be a lot of that this season. But I think ball progression is is a big thing um, for Arsenal, and they need to be careful not to become too predictable. I think against Liverpool, they certainly were. Um, here's, a, here's what I'd like to call the copium question, because I've been thinking this a lot. But it kind of reminds me of like the Champions League qualifying stage where there are just times to complain about things. And when you're on the wrong end of them, it doesn't feel like the right time. But this is um, from Brock Strongo, at Brock Strongo. Do you think the league might be a bit more competitive this year with more teams taking more points off the top teams and the top teams sharing points between themselves a bit more evenly? And will that mean there's a bit more wiggle room if teams have a bad start? And let's really crystallise this question. Chelsea dropped eight points in the whole of last season. So as much as they did lose to Matt Beard's Liverpool on the opening day, they didn't lose many more after that. Arsenal have already dropped five in their first two. Are we looking at a league where the league champions, whoever they are, will drop more than eight points this season, in your opinion?
2: (laughs) I think Copium is spot on because like I want to believe that Arsenal can still win the league Um, and I mean you know there are 20 games to go Arsenal played Chelsea twice so it's absolutely possible even if Chelsea didn't lose to anyone else it would be possible Arsenal would also have to not not lose to anyone else I think the next few weeks will be illustrative in a way like I I think that I think for Chelsea, they I mean they always start they always sort of start the season in this kind of uh, mediocre kind of run of form. You're sort of like, oh they look kind of they look kind of vulnerable. Maybe this is the season where they drop more points and they just keep winning games. Here's
1: here's a stat for you. They haven't won their first away game of the season for six seasons now.
2: Right. And they won the league, what, five of those six seasons? yeah um so yeah so i think that the beginning of the season will be illustrative i do think that i do think that manchester united and manchester city will drop more points than uh perhaps they have pretty well united i think will drop more points than they did last season city could drop around the same maybe a little less but like you know that's sort of somewhere around that kind of like 10 12 mark um the thing that the, the thing with Chelsea is, I just think they have so many they have so many options to to use to utilize that. Like you know, even if even if half the team's kind of out of form or not playing well, like she, Emma can just make Emma Hayes can just make five changes at half time, right? She can bring Sam Kerr on at half time, um, and as she did against Manchester City, and so I just think that. I I think I think we'll I, I don't think I think Chelsea will drop a little bit maybe a few more points than eight I think also because I think this will be like the Champions League season for them I really do I think that'll be the, their big focus um, and I do think that Chelsea like Arsenal had so many players at the World Cup I think there can be some vulnerabilities at the beginning of the season that you know teams that had players who were basically have basically been in pre-season for like for two months can take advantage. But I do think that part of it is just that Chelsea is just so much stronger than, than everyone else. So I don't, I, yeah. The next couple of weeks will be illustrative. Like maybe after that, the, this next block of games will have a better idea. And I do think, I do think like, you know, I do think the middle of the league is a lot more competitive than it was like I think Liverpool have taken us have gone up a level. I think Brighton are looking at going up a level. Leicester are not gonna be as poor as they were last season. When you look at the relegation battle, I think there's I think it's two teams that have the potential to go down. And I think and in Bristol City and West Ham, I don't think you're gonna have like, you know, just the the three or four who were involved a season ago. So I think that I think the middle of the league's a little bit stronger, but yeah, I don't, know. I don't know. I don't know how much copium I actually have.
1: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I think it will get just about into the double figures for points dropped uh, for the reasons you say. Like Leicester, I think Leicester and Spurs, for example, you look at their second half of the season compared to their first half last year. If you take the calendar year, Leicester City and Spurs, like they're clearly, I mean, Leicester are literally top of the league, so they're clearly going to be... A lot more competitive. Liverpool had so many injuries last season. Um, I think they're going to be much better. Villa seem to be working things out again. Yeah, Brighton have uh, Brighton have made so many signings that I think it's maybe why they've started slightly slowly, um, but they they've brought in some real quality. I, I I think it'll be around about ten points dropped, but I do think in a weird way it's making these head to heads bigger again. Um, because I, I think losing to Liverpool essentially means that Arsenal have to take those points, probably from Chelsea, uh, certainly at home to Manchester United now. So I, I do think there will be a bit of a better spread of points. That said, I, I'm, I, I think Bristol City will probably go down with not many points, and that might be a return to what we used to see, um, of like having a very clear relegation candidate that nearly everyone picks up six points from. Um, but then again, Arsenal, you know, like you said, we lost to Birmingham a couple of seasons ago. We drew the Oville a few seasons ago when they only got like three points all season. So, you know, may, maybe not such a bad thing for us. Um, but yeah, I, I think it will be a bit more than eight, but probably not loads more, if we're honest. Um, and I might as well introduce it because you kind of referenced it there. But we had a question. I haven't got it written down, but I remember. Uh, the emphasis of the question is from uh, Big Mad Mandy at Dedo Park, who asks: Is this the season that the bad thing could happen? Uh, Are Chelsea in the Champions League? Uh, the French teams look don't look nearly as strong as they used to. Barcelona perhaps don't look as strong as they did. Could this be a season where 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 Chelsea finally do it?
2: Uh, this one I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to stick uh, with, Kobe. just stick to Copium and say no. Absolutely not. No, 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 um, I mean, it, it depends so much on the draw, right? Like, when do Chelsea get Barcelona? If they get Barcelona, if they play Barcelona in the final, I, you have to say it's not 50-50 because I think Barcelona, I would say like maybe, you know, 70-30 Barcelona likely to win that. But 30% is a pipe. Percentage number of something happening, so I mean, it really does depend on the draw. But uh, yeah, I mean, I think looking across, looking across the landscape, right? Like you'd say, like I think Chelsea are probably one of the three, four best teams in Europe, and so you have to say one of the three or four best teams has a chance at winning the Champions League. I mean, especially because one of the teams that we'd consider historically to be one of the best teams in Europe last year's finalists are, you know. Might not qualify for the for the group stage, and the other and a semi-finalist. All
1: the core kids are drawing three three with Paris.
2: (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, 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 yeah. It's uh, which deserves its own sort of like podcast, like what what Paris have been able to do because that's pretty. I mean, drawing three three with last year's semi-finalists is pretty amazing. Um. But yeah, I mean, like, look, Chelsea was semi-finalist last year. And so I think you have to say it's a possibility. But um, uh, for pure cop- copium reasons, I'm going to say absolutely not. Uh, uh, the Barcelona players who won the World Cup, they've got, you know, they just, they want to keep winning. They won the Champions League. They won the World Cup. They just want to keep winning. And and, and, uh, and Pateas is back and they didn't really have, and like, so they didn't actually have Pateas last season. So I do think that will make a difference.
1: Yeah, definitely. And they're doing this thing at the moment where um, kind of uh, Bon Matty really became the Alexia of last season. And now they've got them both. And what do they do with them? And they're kind of playing Mariana as a bit of a false nine. And I, th- I think they'll be fine. I watched them play Valencia. And I know Valencia aren't a Champions League level team, uh, but I watched them play Valencia last week and they, they just tore them limb from limb. Um, I don't think they'd do that to Chelsea. And the, the, the semi-final between Barcelona and Chelsea last season was reasonably close. Bar- well, sorry, Chelsea were able to at least reduce the margins in that game, but you could still see who the clearly superior team was. Um, but I'm with you. In a final, you can you can do that, and it might go your way over two legs. I do think Barcelona would have too much for them. However, like that day is probably coming. Um, and if you're Chelsea at the moment, you want Wolfsburg out. Uh, Manu and Paris Saint Germain are playing each other, so one of them's going to go out. Um, so you know, there are a lot of big teams who aren't going to be in that group stage. Um, but yeah, it, it, it could happen, but I'm, I'd still back Barcelona fairly firmly. Final question since we've got another game at the Emirates coming up this Sunday, this is from Max at Max underscore RxDWAN. Arsenal's record at the Emirates since the start of last season in all competitions is played nine, won four, drawn one, lost four. Our record at Meadow Park last season was played 12, won 10, drawn one, lost one. Emirates games obviously come with a caveat that they tend to face the bigger sides, but is our record at the Emirates a concern for you?
2: Yeah. I mean, I think it was, it was also brought up on, on counter press, like, you know, our record at the Emirates before, last season wasn't great i think we basically beaten tottenham and chelsea and then we had all those champions league games there which i think you know um yeah i mean it's interesting so i've not i mean i've not been to an arsenal winning game at the emirates that's going to change this season uh, but i have been to one at, at meadow park um and i just think i do think that there's uh i do think there's maybe an intensity that's, that's maybe that's lacking a little bit, right. It's a, Meadow park. I think is much more louder, maybe a little bit more, um, you know, so, so I do think that that plays a part, but I do also think that like part of it just does come down to the fact that like the games again at the Emirates have been against Chelsea, Manchester United, Wolfsburg, right. The last season, those are the games that we didn't win at the Emirates. Those are very good teams. Um, but yeah, I mean I think it, I do think it's an interesting question um because like maybe there's something about like you know maybe there's there's something about just the the overall size that makes it a little bit it's just something something as an adjustment. I know the players have spoken a lot about like this Emirates starting to feel more like home, but maybe it doesn't completely feel like home yet. But I think that's you know I think it, it yeah, I think there are a number of factors we play good, tend to play good teams at the Emirates, maybe a little bit different than just in terms of the atmosphere and the environment. Um, And yeah, just, you know, it, I mean, you know, we know that the men's team lost something when they moved from hybrid to the Emirates. And obviously this is not the same thing as moving from, you know, Meadow park to the Emirates, but you know, there can be something that can be, that can be lost a little bit when you, when you change venues. So, I mean, it does seem to me that like, it's something that the, that they'll just have to get used to because it does seem that like more and more games are going to be at the Emirates, especially with like, you know, 30,000 is your baseline number. I don't, you know, that to me seems like a need that. That's only heading one way.
1: Yeah, definitely. I, I think it's about 90% the opposition, but I, I don't discount the other factors at all. Um, and particularly if you're Liverpool holding onto a one-nil lead, is somehow psychologically the Emirates a nicer place to do that than Meadow Park when you've got like a really tense crowd trying to suck the ball in, probably. Um, but I, I I also think that's just something that will just go away completely with time. I listened to a podcast this morning about West Ham men, um, perhaps ironically considering they never seem to let their women's team play there. But you know they' guys from West Ham saying like actually the stadium question for West Ham men has kind of gone away now it took a couple of years but they, they kind of feel relatively at home there now so I I, I, th- I think like and actually over the last few months we played at the Emirates more than Meadow Park um, because we had those big games at the end of last season there in, in the Champions League as well so yeah maybe there's something in that transition and certainly we're very formidable uh, uh meadow park but i agree that's probably as much to do with the opposition as anything else and uh, i i i do think it's interesting we're going to play man city and meadow park which we always seem to do um as well I, I know that they chose to play villa because they wanted to back up games at the emirates as part of like the feasibility study and you'll notice far less marketing and promotion for villa and that was i believe intentional because it's about okay what does a relatively bog-standard WSL game, when we had one two weeks ago without much promotion, like what does that look like when we don't throw all of our resource behind it? And like you say, at the moment, at the time of recording, there's four ga- days until the game, and it's thirty-two and a half thousand. So I think that should clock up to forty or so. Um, but yeah, I'm with you. I, I, I think like that that will just diminish as an issue over time, but certainly. The club has to do
2: it, I think. Yeah, and it's. I mean, it's. uh, Yeah, I think it again. It's. It's almost all to do with the opposition. Like, Arsenal had a bad record at the Emirates the first season, in part because like the games that were there were there was a game against Barcelona. Like Arsenal were going to lose four nil against Barcelona, whether it's at Meadow Park or or the Emirates or like you know London Colney. It wasn't going to make a difference where that game was played. So like, it almost has to do with I think the opposition. But I, yeah, I mean, what, what you, it, it's one of those things where it's like you start looking at soft factors. I think you look at soft factors because of something like the Liverpool game, where which in reality was just sort of like that's football. Sometimes that just happens. Sometimes you know, sometimes you play kind of an, you, you play okay and you get the first goal and you go on and you win and no one makes a thing of it, or you know, you don't get the first goal. And the opposition of just and then they score and then all of a sudden it becomes, you know, that's just that's football. That happens.
1: Yeah, yeah, definitely. And and I think um hopefully a strong performance and a good result on Sunday. Uh and we won't have that question the next time we do a mailbag, hopefully. But uh Aidan, that's uh I'm mindful of your time and with uh, the time difference uh, that you're about to go off to work. So uh, thank you very much um, for joining us and we'll have you on again soon. Yeah, thanks so much for having me. Absolute pleasure. And we will come back with an up- another episode probably after the Bristol City game during that October international break. Don't know what that episode will be yet. Maybe another mailbag. Maybe we'll do something else. We'll work that out later. Um, but until then, keep it at Ask blog News for all of your Arsenal women content needs. And for those of you that don't know, we have launched a weekly newsletter on Substack. Uh, which is written by me. And broadly, we put something out once once a week on that. Um, and we'll, I'll probably do some kind of Q&A on there in the next week or so. But keep an eye if you're still on Twitter or whatever on Twitter, on my Twitter, because we still do promote through there, but we'll promote a little bit through Substack as well, while the current owner of Twitter tries his best to kill it off. Um, but he won't kill this podcast off, thankfully, because it's very much not in his domain. It's our domain. And with that, we'll say thank you, goodbye, and we'll speak to
0: you.
1: Probably in about two weeks time.